Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I'm Sandra Davidson. And I'm Anita Rao. Welcome back to She and Her. Before we dive in tonight, I want you to close your eyes and pause. I want you to take a moment and consider the bravest thing you've ever done. Was it standing up for something you believed in? Was it something you did to protect a person you love? Was it confronting an uncomfortable truth and the shame that comes with it? Was it sharing your deepest secret because you knew it could help others struggling with the same pain? Our guest today, Allie Ordman, does just that. She joins us to publicly share her struggle with an eating disorder for the first time. Her story is deeply earnest and raw. It's difficult but moving. So I've known Allie for about 15 years. She's one of my closest friends, and we've supported each other through many life transitions. I remember meeting Allie for the first time right before junior high at a get-to-know-you party for kids from different elementary schools. They had us playing all sorts of icebreaker games, and Allie and I happened to get partnered up. She was energetic, warm, and charming right from the start, and our friendship blossomed from there. We bonded in a home economics class, in driver's ed, in speech and debate club when we were dual partners, and I had a horrible fake Southern accent, and throughout the many years, we convinced ourselves that show choir was indeed cool and fun, far before Glee made anyone else think so. When we were juniors in high school, we even took each other to prom, certain we'd have a far better time with one another than any other dates. Allie eventually moved to New York after college to pursue work in the nonprofit sphere, and she also began to study yoga. She got certified as a registered yoga teacher and started to teach in public schools. She has since moved around a bit more and transitioned into the fields of politics and social services, all while still continuing to teach yoga. But throughout all of this, She has also struggled privately with an eating disorder. She would talk about it with me a little bit from time to time, but it was only recently that she has really started to open up. And in many ways, choosing to do this interview with us was an important turning point in her journey. Eating disorders have a lot of shame around them, both sort of internal and external, and you haven't always been uh, open about talking about it. And this this interview and in a lot of ways marks a shift in that. Can you tell me a bit about your journey to talking more openly about it um, and why you've made the choices that you have along the way? You're right. I think shame is one of the most important 
um, aspects of eating disorders for people to be aware of, sort of like other sorts of substance abuse. It's really hard for people to talk about, but I think that I started to overcome that when I decided that I needed formal treatment. And um, the first day I went into treatment, I was asked to sort of share openly in front of a group. I think group therapy was actually a pivotal point for me because it showed me how many other people had been through the same struggles, how common it was. You know, sure, I had read statistics, but it's so different to actually meet someone else in person who's going through the same struggle. And another reason has been that it's been so long for me. I've struggled with this issue for about a decade, um, arguably having some of the like thoughts and negative body image even longer than that. And um, what kills me the most is just how much time and energy I've wasted, sort of stuck in that zone. So I wanted to be able to get through this problem as quickly as I could so that I can talk about it to other people, especially younger girls who might be sort of at the beginning of this problem and just encourage them that they're not alone and that they can seek help and that this problem isn't their fault. And only by opening up did the shame start to disappear. And so I think, you know, I was approached about this show at the perfect time. I was already starting to open up to some of my friends more. And it's really felt like this weight on my shoulders through the years, not being able to be really 100% honest. And so this was sort of a nice outlet to just let it all out. That's Sally Ordman talking about the decision to share her story. While every person's struggle with an eating disorder is unique and shaped by his or her particular circumstances, the big picture statistics are staggering. According to a 2013 study cited by the National Eating Disorders Association, 20 million women and 10 million men in the United States suffer from a clinically significant eating disorder at some point in their lifetime. That's about 1 in 10 people. And a large number of these cases go unreported. Studies have shown that as early as six, girls begin expressing concerns about their own weight or shape, and that between 40 and 60 percent of elementary school girls become concerned about becoming fat. For many sufferers, their struggle eating feels like an inescapable and enduring part of life. We started our conversation with Allie by asking her to tell us a bit about how her struggles with body image and food first began, and how she got to where she is today. My sister and I both studied dance from a really young age, from about age four. Um, we started taking classes and both really fell in love with it. Dance is just this very rich, innate art form unlike anything else. And there's such a joy to movement. And I, I feel like um, anyone can see it when you watch a young person dance or move to music. You see so much joy. The older you get, the more and more time you have to dedicate to dance. So instead of pursuing sports or maybe other interests, both of us really put a lot of time into studying ballet, primarily, um, among other styles of dance. Tell us about your dance teacher and any specific memories that you have of being around her and how she may have sort of informed how you approached thinking about your body and food? 
I had an amazing ballet teacher. She was quite strict, more strict than any of my teachers had been. Uh, She also had gotten much farther professionally than most of my teachers ever had. So I really had an incredible amount of respect for her. I listened to her. I trusted her. I knew she would help make me a better dancer. She was very thin and very strong. She looked as though she could still be a professional ballerina. She was around age maybe late 20s or maybe 30 at that point, and she had already had a child as well. And I remember thinking how amazing it was that she looked the way that she did and she had already had a child. I mean, it's still hard to believe (laughs) Um, because you would have never known. Um, She was just very small. And the same way I idealized her talent as a dancer, I started to idealize her body type. And in hindsight, I believe that that became my sort of golden standard, golden ideal. Um, If only I could look like her, then maybe I would be as good of a dancer as she had been. I remember we all went out to have a group dinner one night after a performance, and she had ordered a chocolate cake or some lavish dessert like that. And she made a big deal of saying that she had been on a diet for three months, and she hadn't eaten dessert for three months. So she had, quote-unquote, earned her chocolate cake. And I just I mean, the fact that I still remember that, clearly that was a formative moment for me, Um, starting to understand her way of looking at food and what she deserved or didn't deserve and having to quote-unquote earn food. I also remember a classmate of mine, maybe a few years above me in ballet, felt concerned about her weight. In hindsight, again, she had a completely normal weight, normal body. She was a beautiful dancer but she started to write down everything that she would eat on a daily basis and then turn it in to my teacher for my teacher to review and look at, and then my teacher would give her tips on, I suppose, where to cut calories or where to make changes in her diet so she could lose weight. So those sort of subtle or not-so-subtle experiences At the time, to be honest, I really did not give them a second thought. They seemed totally normal to me. I also thought that my teacher and her body were completely normal. So I think it just goes to show that I had a distorted view of what it meant to be healthy and what it meant to have a healthy relationship with one's body. And as much as I still love my teacher and as much as she taught me about dance, I do feel like I inherited some of that. From her. Take us back now to your early years in ballet and how that may have begun to shape your notions of um, what your body should be like or, or your just conception of your own body. There is just a perfectionism that is inherent to ballet. Unlike some other forms of dance or art, there is an ideal. Uh, it's a little more like gymnastics in that way. There is certainly like a perfect way to do a lot of the moves. There's an ideal body type. So from a young age, you really do start to associate 
being good at ballet with being thin um, or, or having that ideal physique. Personally, I don't remember worrying about that or feeling too bad about that much before age 12 or 13. I went to a summer camp, my first longer summer camp as a ballet dancer, right before my freshman year of high school. And I remember signage around the cafeteria about what to eat or what not to eat, um, just sort of general nutritional advice. I remember watching what other girls would pick for breakfast before class. Uh, I remember starting to feel bad or guilty about eating dessert or sort of what would be perceived as extra calories. I had been quite what we call like an intuitive eater until that point. I didn't overthink what I was putting in my body. I ate when I was hungry. I ate what my body felt that it was craving. And I noticed that there were a lot of girls around me who were thinking about what they were putting in their bodies much more than I had given a second thought to. You've probably heard dozens of reasons why eating disorders develop, ranging from peer pressure to the influence of the multi-million dollar diet industry to the unrealistic standards of beauty portrayed in the media. Every person's road to disordered eating is deeply personal. And while Allie certainly got messages about food and the body through dance, messages about thinness seeped in from many places, and Allie internalized them. By the time she entered high school, she started to act on them also. I would say in high school, as those feelings of dissatisfaction around my body built, I started to consciously practice more control over what I would eat. I insisted on preparing my meals or packing my lunch for school. I remember um, going on a diet in high school. Um, I remember reading self magazine religiously and trying to read through their food plans or their menu plans and sort of apply that logic or those principles to my diet. I would say a major shift also happened in college. Sort of the convenience factor starts to weigh in. You have to spend money on your own food. You have to make the time to feed yourself. And at the same time, you're experiencing this intense desire to pursue all these other sorts of activities for the first time. So that period was definitely rocky for me. I vividly remember experiences of feeling hunger in whatever part of my body, in my stomach, in my throat, in my brain, and ignoring it for one reason or another. I'm sure I had a million conscious reasons and excuses to ignore the meal at the time, but Deep down, I feel that it was really self-hatred, self-disgust with what my body looked like, not wanting to nourish my body, feeling like it was an excessive waste of time, money, and calories or mental energy to feed myself. So one thing that I always think about in college is that there are a lot of activities 
that many college students engage in that revolve around either food or drink. And I wonder if you experienced some sense of loss or missing because that was not a part of the way you were pursuing your time in college. Yes. I'm so glad you asked that. And I truly hope that there are some younger women out there listening. Um, I can look back and remember countless times that I declined a social event, uh, decided not to go out on a date with someone, and there were a lot of reasons for that. I mean, the simple stress of being in a room with lots of food and alcohol is enough of a stress sometimes. Um, Sometimes it was more this idea of being around other people who I perceived as better looking than I was or being around a lot of boys or men and not feeling sexy enough, Um, this sort of lack of sex drive. And that's an important part to point out too. Eating disorders are highly correlated with uh, certain mental health conditions like depression and anxiety. And so when people are depressed, they tend to have this sort of apathy to being social and oftentimes a loss of sex drive. And so it becomes this really vicious negative cycle of self-hatred or self-loathing and this suppressive feeling, which leads you to not go out and make friends or not go be social or not be sexual and then feel worse about yourself. Um, Those are definitely huge regrets I have from college and beyond college. Um, So I know that we've been talking a lot about dance and your experience and dance growing up and how that has impacted how you think about your body. Uh, I'm wondering if you would mind sharing some of the other factors that you think have contributed to that as well. One of the most innate ones for me is um, just perfectionism and tendencies to be super organized and super almost compulsive about certain things. And those are traits that are definitely common amongst people who have eating disorders. And everyone in my family is pretty tall and thinner. It's just a certain body type, kind of long and lean. For better or for worse, I think between that and the fact that I was such a dancer growing up, that really became part of my identity. And so at some point, I started to associate being thin with being me. So today at 26, Allie now sees that she's been struggling with these issues for a long time. But it wasn't until relatively recently that she began to think of herself as someone with an eating disorder. She saw a psychologist for the first time in 2008 and only learned by accident two years later that he had diagnosed her with anorexia. She continued through her early 20s without much formal treatment, but things eventually came to a head when she worked in a particularly stressful job in Washington, D.C. I didn't think of myself as someone who had an eating disorder for a very long time, for many years, until recently, really. I was clearly having behaviors that were so indicative 
of an eating disorder. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really want to go into details, but you know, restricting amounts that I was eating, um, sometimes throwing up after eating. But in my head, I was, I just denied it. I, I didn't think I had a problem, and I didn't want to admit I had a problem. Right before I ended up seeking treatment, I lived in Washington, D.C., and had an incredible job. I had one of my best friends who I'd known since seventh grade who lived there with me nearby, and she was about to move away from D.C., and I went over to her place to say goodbye. And instead of being able to have this sort of sentimental moment um, of you know friendship and love for each other, we ended up having a conversation um, that started when she basically confronted me about feeling like she had been almost dismissed as a friend or that I hadn't really shown that I had cared about her as a friend during our time in D.C. because after work every day, I would work really long hours and then I would go to the gym for hours and hours until probably 9 or 10 at night and then I would just go home and do it all over again. Uh, And she brought up to me that that was really hurtful to her and she felt like I hadn't made time for her and that she was really concerned about me. Um, We had just gone on a trip together and she had watched some of my eating patterns and she just mentioned being really concerned and and felt like um, she wasn't sure what was going on with me but wanted to say something. And that really hit me like a ton of bricks (laughs) just to, to hear one of your best friends say, not just that she thought it was a problem, but to say that I had hurt her feelings with this friend that I wanted to be a good friend to, I I wanted to be a source of support for her, and here I was almost draining her um, and certainly not offering anything to the relationship. Um, so that was really an insightful moment for me when I decided to do something about it. Um, and if that wasn't enough, I would say it was around that same time. I was working really long days in an office building, and... I wasn't on any medication at the time, and I was having a lot of trouble with my anxiety. I was really feeling it physically. I was having a hard time sitting still during the day. I would oftentimes just not eat during the day, and during lunch hour I would go sort of escape into, you know, like a secret area of the building or a stairway or something and, and exercise. And, I mean, each day I did that, I it honestly didn't even seem like that much of a problem. It's so easy to twist your reality and normalize it. But at a certain point, I realized I just felt so stressed and so out of control, and it became very clear that that was a compulsive behavior for me. Um, And and I also had incredibly distorted eating patterns at the time. I had more and more trouble eating in front of other people in general, it became really difficult to prepare my own food. This is actually funny in hindsight. I Instead of going to therapy, I sought out a life coach because that seemed more acceptable, I think, in my brain. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of our first assignments she gave me was to start working on, like, it was so simple. It was like preparing a dinner for myself, like putting the time into preparing even something like a salad, like some sort of food that felt really safe for me. And... I couldn't do it. (laughs) Like I couldn't bring myself to go buy the ingredients and make a salad. And I just thought, 
wow, I'm 25 and I can't feed myself. Like, I think there's a problem. All of that sort of snowballed into um, convincing me that I should pursue formal treatment. fall of 2015, Allie pursued formal treatment at a behavioral health center in Chicago. For four weeks, she spent seven hours a day in a unit where she had multiple supported meals and snacks, group therapy, individual therapy, family counseling, and weekly nutrition meetings. After witnessing her particular habits and struggles, her treatment team encouraged her to transition to full-time residential care. And after four weeks, Allie finally agreed, admitting that her current treatment level did not seem to be working. Unfortunately, her insurance company didn't agree and said that she did not meet the medically necessary criteria for full residential treatment. And while all of us know the shortcomings of our healthcare system, it was especially challenging for Allie to be told that she was not thin enough to get treatment for her eating disorder. After leaving the treatment center in Chicago, Allie moved back to Iowa City and continued on her road to recovery. What has your process of recovery been like since you left the treatment center? That was, what, a year, a year and a half Yeah, ago? it was almost exactly a year ago. Okay. Um, it's been quite a roller coaster. Um, there has been a lot of reflection. And I would say if one of the greatest things treatment taught me is sort of this power of self-reflection and revisiting your own story and trying to rewrite your own story and put everything in perspective. And I've certainly been able to do that on my own in some capacity. Um, I was talking to a good friend about this the other day. She said, what do you think your treatment team would say if they knew where you were now and what you were doing? And it was a hard question to answer because uh, I would say they probably would not be very happy with me. Um, since I left that program, I have not pursued formal treatment for a number of reasons. You know, I, I've fallen back into the old tendency of seeing the pursuit of treatment as a failure in some ways and wanting to believe I can fix the problem on my own. In a lot of ways, I have not been as proactive and aggressive as I probably should have been for the last year. I went back to school full-time. I worked multiple full-time jobs. I would say those experiences, again, taught me that I'm not well yet. I'd like to say I'm fully recovered, but I'm not. I still have a long way to go. Uh, I think mentally I have come a long way. I have a psychiatrist. I'm on medications now that I wasn't on before treatment, there have definitely been some certain very tangible changes. I can prepare my own food now. I can sometimes eat around other people. And those are certainly milestones that are worth celebrating. Um, you know, on the other side of that coin, there's so far I still have to go. I experience it as a form of trauma. I, I feel like um, a lot of people who have eating disorders have gone through a lot of trauma and need to find ways to work through it. And uh, that has been 
difficult to do. Given that, do you think that full recovery is possible for you? I have to say yes. I believe recovery is possible um, for me and for anyone. I think that you have to be realistic about what recovery means. And when I first entered treatment, I believe I had this ideal notion of a recovered version of myself that could just eat and live and exercise and, you know, never think twice about what I was doing uh, and just be happy, Allie, and um, there would no longer be any problems (laughs) or obstacles. And the reality of recovery is that it's a very bumpy road, you know, two steps forward, one step back, and your certain thoughts will always be there. Um, Everyone has sort of that self-talk that runs through their mind. Some of that's never going to go away. The the culture and the the media environment we live in is certainly not looking like it's going to change anytime soon. So there are always going to be all sorts of triggers around you at all times. I think recovery is the conscious decision to act on certain behaviors and let go of other behaviors in order to pursue a life that is more in line with your values. But for me, a major marker of recovery would be feeling that I can be in a committed relationship and have children at some point, which is a huge, important goal for me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. While Allie feels hopeful and optimistic about future relationships, she told us that one of her biggest regrets about this illness is that it has made it very difficult for her to connect with men. Over the years, she often met guys who she was interested in, but she rarely pursued the relationship because she didn't feel comfortable enough in her own skin to be intimate. Her criticism and hatred of her body made romantic and sexual connection really difficult. I mean, the cliche phrase here sort of says it all. You can't love others until you love yourself. I have experienced that to be true. 
in a more nuanced way, um, I think that a lot of the beginnings of my disordered thoughts were sort of spurred by and centered around this ideal woman, this sexual being or someone that men would look at and find beautiful. And I felt like I didn't look like that. So I think at a pretty early age, I sort of started to rely way too much on male attention, sort of always needing that, always craving it. For me, at least, it's been a weird journey because at the same time that I would crave male attention, I also had this like pure, intense hatred of my body. So it's sort of a weird line to tell of how to be with a guy, how to sort of offer your body, but not really. It sort of feels like in some ways, sometimes sex felt like I was abusing my body on purpose. I've really had to ask myself some difficult questions about why I'm acting in certain ways sexually. And on the flip side of that, there's also a lot of long periods of time where I haven't felt good enough about my body to even go on a date with a guy, let alone, you know, be sexually intimate with him. Um, So I have to admit, like, that's definitely still a big struggle for me. I'm still sort of figuring out um, how to approach romance and sex. And I think it's really, really important for people to hear that that is a major part of it, just because so many guys, I think, were pretty clueless to what was going on with me in my head. What would you tell people who have someone in their life who's going through this that are uncertain about how to provide support? First and foremost, you cannot solve the problem yourself. So just acknowledge that and be delicate when you approach the issue. Um, It's most important that you show that you love that person and that you just have their best interest at heart and you want to see them well. Sometimes a helpful way to approach those situations are to just acknowledge the facts, right? It's not about you. It's not about what you're experiencing as a result of this eating disorder. It's, It's about the facts. Let's say you're a mom and you've noticed that your daughter, you haven't seen her eat a meal sitting down for the last few weeks. Just say that. Just acknowledge whatever the behaviors are that you have seen that are facts. I think the first step for everyone is acknowledgement. It's kind of like substance abuse in the same way. There's these steps of recovery, and until you get through denial, there's no way you're moving forward. If you had the chance to tell your younger self something, and even other young women who are going through the same thing, What would you say to yourself at 12 or 13? Uh, (laughs) Oh, I wish I could go back and do that. Don't aim for perfection. (laughs) I would say trust yourself. Don't doubt yourself. You can make good decisions. Remind myself that I'm bright, that I can accomplish anything that I want to, and that I don't have to be the best at everything. I don't have to be the best at anything. Um, I think I really needed to hear that as a young person who cared a lot about her performance, whether it was in school, in sports, in dance. I really wish someone would have just said, you know, 
there's a power and a strength to choosing consciously to not be the best. (laughs) And I would say that to other people too. I would most importantly stress the importance of talking to someone, even if it's just one appointment, even if you're scared, especially if you're scared. (laughs) It's so helpful to get a third-party opinion. Well, Allie, is there anything else that you haven't talked about or spoken to that you would like to? If there's one point I would really love for folks to take away from today, if nothing else, um, is that there is not one certain shape or size or weight for eating disorders. There's no specific way to identify someone um, and whether they have an eating disorder or not based on the way they look. That includes age, that includes race, their sex, their body type, obviously, how much money they have. This is a pervasive problem. It crosses all those lines. And as someone who was able to slip under the radar most of the time because I didn't have what you might call a visually obvious eating disorder for most of the time, I just can't hammer that home enough that despite what you may have heard or your thoughts, there is really no one way eating disorders look. And just keep that in mind because you never know what might be going through someone's head who's sitting right next to you. That was Allie Ordman bravely sharing the story of her eating disorder and her road to recovery. We are grateful for her courage and hope that it brings comfort and hope to our listeners out there. Allie sent us a list of resources for those struggling with eating disorders. If you know that you are, if you think that you are, or if you think you know someone who is, please, please check them out. We'll be sharing them on our website and social media over the next few days. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at She and Her Radio. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and, of course, rate us. She and Her is a program produced and hosted by me and Sandra Davidson. We record every Thursday at the studios of WHUP in Hillsborough, North Carolina. Big thanks to Cameron Laws and Sam Gerwick for producing our show's music. Big, big thanks to Allie Ordman for being brave, courageous, and a wonderful friend. We love you. Um, And to all of our fans... We also love you. We do. And we'll see you here next week.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 